Hey, what's going on, everyone? It is Brian, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. On this episode, I get to interview the wonderful Colin Harmon, who is the founder of 3FE Coffee. Colin studied business and law in college, but discovered that in 2008 that his passion lay within coffee. One year after getting his first job in coffee, Colin won the Irish Barista Championship and then went on to the finals of the World Barista Championships, which is pretty amazing. 3FE now has three locations in Dublin. It has a roastery, an espresso machine business, and it's even opening two more shops in Dublin pretty soon. In this episode, we talk about where, where Colin started and how he discovered his passion and the journey to ensuring that every customer has an exceptional experience at any of his shops. I've been following Colin and 3FE for quite some time now, and I've found how he runs businesses very inspiring. This is an episode that's very close to my heart, and I hope you enjoy it. So let's get into the show. So, Colin, welcome to the podcast. So what I normally do at every episode at the very beginning is, first of all, to allow the guests to introduce themselves because of the fear that I'm going to butcher the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely sidestepped. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so my name is Colin Harmon. Um, I'm the owner-operator of 3FE Coffee in Dublin. Never really know how to describe myself. Um, so I suppose I, I, my background is in, in business and law, and I left that in 2008 to kind of go pursue something that I wanted to do. Um, and I kind of had a n kind of notions of opening a coffee shop or restaurant or something, and then kind of got into coffee and got sucked into it, and then opened my first cafe in 2009, which was essentially me and a bench and an espresso machine. I remember it was pretty intense um, and uh, yeah nine years later we have three shops a roastery two more shops coming we have an espresso machine business um, anything vaguely to do with coffee we have our fingers in it I think um, so it's uh, yeah it's uh, been quite a ride brilliant so let's start at the very beginning where did you grow up I grew up in Cork uh, I never yeah. knew that. Well, my Twitter handle is Dublin Barista. People are awesome. actually from Cork. Yeah. So, well, and then when I say grew up there, I that was when I was very young. But my father worked in uh, for a building company and kind of got so far, and then they were like, "Oh, well, you know, you can't go any further. The unions wouldn't let him go any further unless he had a degree." And he came from like a poor working class background, so he was like, "Oh God!" So he went back to college. Had two young kids. And so I was working pretty much full time for a building company and full time doing an engineering course. And, you know, did you do engineering? I never went to college. Oh, did you know? Oh, yeah, I remember this. Yeah, yeah. So he was, uh, he, engineering is intense, like 50 hour weeks anyway. So uh, so we stayed there for six years, um, moved to Nace because they were building the Nace Road. Yes. Yeah. And then the M50 came along, which was Ireland's first motorway at the time. So then we moved, yeah. moved to Knock Lyon. So I kind of grew up most of my life in Knock Lyon. Um, so that's kind of like my formative years, my teenage years were in Knockline. Sure. And did you end up going to college here in Dublin or did you go to college at all? Uh, no, I went to college in UCD. So I kind of 
left school with a bit of a panic, not knowing what I wanted to do. You know, I kind of, I probably should have done engineering because my dad wanted me to do it. So because he wanted me to do it, I was like, well, I'm not doing engineering. <laughs> but um, so I, I, I did business and law because I kind of had notions of wanting to open a business and I was kind of vaguely interested in law. I think I still probably am. I went into it kind of thinking, yeah, I'll, I'll probably become a lawyer. Yeah. And then the every law course kind of pushed me towards the the library and. It was, I just didn't have the attention span for reading. Like, I think I spent probably all of 10 hours in the library over four years. I don't know how I passed that course. Um, and it's amazing. Like, it's, 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 I always found it extremely difficult that when, you know, when you're at that age of doing the leaving cert and you have to pick what college degree that you're going to mm-hmm. do or what kind of almost career move you're going to pick at that age, it's an extremely difficult thing to do. Like, it's, it's a large decision for a big part of your life. And... I think so many people can focus in on that too much rather than discovering what they're really passionate about, you know, yeah. what really drives them. And the way it's built is like, I mean, it's, there's never going to be a perfect way. It's going to be a stressful thing for students anyway, but I'm not mad on the whole like end of it, you know, two or three year program. You get this one exam over two hours that kind of tells you how good or bad you are. Like, and it's a lot of pressure on there. Like, I don't know. I wasn't... If, I think a continuous assessment thing would have been a lot better well for me anyway but then for other people maybe it wouldn't be but yeah like I always say that the way my brother is like an extremely intelligent person but the way that he's always learned and I've always been really jealous of it is that he would open up a book read a couple of pages and retain that knowledge for pretty much the rest of his life and yeah so, so I'm the opposite of that yeah I'm exactly the same so I always I always bring the metaphor of like a dark room so when Kieran's in that dark room through the knowledge that he's learned through many different books, he can say the probability of the door being over there is quite high. And so he goes over there and normally has quite a lot of success. Mm. Versus with me, I kind of end up feeling the room and kind of discovering more about the room. And I eventually get to the door, not as fast as how Kieran would get there, but at the same time, I get to learn more about the room and what's in there and, and discover a little mm. bit more. Um, I would definitely, I would definitely learn more from experience or from failure than, or just trying, I guess, mm. just trying and challenging myself continuously other than, or rather than books and, and being taught by a teacher. Yeah. It's like different approaches for everybody, you know, and it's, uh, it's, I don't think there's ever going to be a system that suits everyone, but yeah, it's, um, it was, yeah, I didn't, I do wish that, like, I do wish that when you were in school that that was found, that the teacher kind of discovered that, you know what, Brian Kenny, he doesn't really learn the way that I'm teaching him. Like, he's not learning maths and he's not learning English um, by doing it in these one-hour blocks. Maybe there's a different way to teach Brian or, or another way. Yeah, I like, my eldest son has just started school and everything about how they approach it is different now. And it's, it's, it's all little small things, like... Um, you know they have um, of completely what's the they have like the teachers assistants I can't remember what the is it CNA is that what they called anyway but they have um, you know like there's lots of assistants in the class for kids who have special needs or you know certain yeah just need a bit of a, a, a nudge on you know and they're like even when he's going into school they give you a, a sheet and it's just like you know what's your child like you know is he sensitive about anything that sort of thing and it's just a bit more I don't know child focused yeah Whereas when I was a kid, it was just like, you know, this is what we're going to make you do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if you, if you don't do it, then fine, but you're just getting an F and yeah, that's it's it. It's a bit you know? more of a compassionate system, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure. I like that, though. I do. 
So UCD for college, and then what was your first big job after college? Um, so yeah, UCD for four years, and then at the end of that, like I've. I know, like if I'd have done engineering, I'd have qualified as you know a mechanical engineer or a civil engineer because I'd sure. have specialised or whatever, uh, which would have been kind of restrictive, but at the same time would have been made up made up your mind for you. But like I've spat at the far end, and I'm like, oh, now I have a, a business and law degree, and I'm like, well, that's so. <laughs> like I was, I was. I remember actually when I was finished, uh, finishing, and, and like everybody in my class was like, oh yeah, I'm doing this internship at KPMG. And I'm like, what's a KPMG? And I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> I just I don't know. I never really. Uh, I got into the, the stream of how everything's doing. Like yeah. I remember one day talking to them, they were like, oh, how did your tutorials go? And I'm like, what's a tutorial? And they all laughed. I was like, what are you talking about? And apparently they'd had tutorials every week for four years. And I didn't know. Right. And they were like, how did you get this far out of the tutorials? I'm like, I don't even, what is a tutorial? I just, <laughs> I just wasn't I in the that. stream. You know what I mean? Like they're all in college societies and I'm not antisocial by any sense, but I, I don't know. It's just like I was in my own world the whole time, just yeah. drifting along. I don't know what, why, what that is. Like it just I'm a bit odd, maybe. But um, but good odd, right? And and so, do you remember what you were focused on, or what your mind was kind of focused on at that time? Well, I was working than, a lot. Yeah, like actually getting yeah, practical like, experience. Like I always liked to work. You know, it's I got my first job when I was fourteen in a, a builders providers. Uh, as she was telling me the other day, I, I, the the first I was working in the warehouse, the first delivery came was this massive box and I had these premium garden hoses that were like a hundred quid each and there was like ten of them lined up in it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna stack these in shells. So I took a standing blade and slit along the top of it to cut the sellotape and slice through every single one of them. No. Because uh, somebody had done this with coffee the other day in the shop, but I remember actually the manager came to me afterwards and he was like, You know what? You owned up to it straight away. You walked straight up to me and you told me that it was your fault. And he goes, Most people would have just said nothing. And I was like, All right, so there was a lesson in that. Yeah. But then, like, I had lots of jobs. My first job, or my first proper job, was McDonald's in Grafton Street. So I started working there when I was 15. And I was doing it full time. I remember it was in transition year. I was pretty much, I wasn't going to school, I was just working. And I remember the manager found out and he was like, called me to his office. He's like, hey, You're working full time. I was like, Yeah. And he was like, you're only 15 I was like yeah and he goes that's illegal we can't let you do that and I said well you've been doing it for six months so if you don't let me keep doing this then I'm going to rat you up look at this <laughs> yes straight in there the so I still had 40 hours next week so it was fine yeah so like working was a big and then all the way through college I was working in bars and restaurants and cafes and like I was getting more of a buzz out of that like and all to kind of fuel this thing where I'd get a big proper job at the end so when I left college I ended up in uh, the IFSC I was working in trustee so a trustee is essentially like you, you act in a fund on behalf of the shareholder. So you're independent of the fund, you're independent of the investment managers and, and, and everybody else. So you, you're just there to make sure everything is done the way it was intended to be done. Like, so, okay. so according to government legislation and fund-specific legislation, so if it's a fund that's like says it will always have 30% in precious metals, it's my job to make sure that there's always 30% of precious metals. Okay, and whether it's going to be in like a highly volatile investment fund or, or yeah, whatever it might be. Like, so you have like professional investment funds and um, qualified investment funds and all sorts of different ones. And like generally the more, the higher the buy-in, the less restrictive they are. Because, you know, if, if the buy-in is a million euro, the regulatory authorities are like, you know, <laughs> you're grand. Off, yeah. you're grand, off you go. Yeah. Those lads can afford to lose it, you know. Whereas if it's like, you know, like an over-the-counter kind of buy-in of like 10 quid, they're gonna, it's going to be a lot of, you know, strict regulations because it, it's people's pensions and, you know, just ordinary Joe's inv investments and stuff. So that was kind of like, it seemed like the natural progression and I got like two years into it and like uh, i have to be really careful like because i don't I really don't want to insult the people that work there because they were such good people they were so nice to me 
they kept giving me raises when I was trying to leave and they um, and it just wasn't for me and they were really good at their job and they really enjoyed it and it was it was a great job like it actually was a really great place to work it just I just wasn't for me you know what I mean and where did you start did you so once you left UCD did you get an internship there or did you just start um, applying for jobs after the degree actually I just kind of floated for a little bit I think I took a few holidays and then I actually did outside broadcast for a radio station in Wicklow. That was a bit random. <laughs> that um, is so random. Actually, I was telling somebody the other day, one day some guy who was supposed to be commentating on the Gaelic football match in Ockram, like Wicklow or Payne, I think. Yeah, it was Wicklow. Yeah. He, like, he was ill, so they put me, I, I don't know anything about Gaelic football, so I had to commentate in this Gaelic football game over the radio, but I had no idea what was going on. I like, have stage, to listen to that, I'd love to. So, someone came up from the audience, like they'd be listening to it on the radio, and there's like, there's no corners in Gaelic football. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> So anyway, they, um, I, uh, I did that for a while. Then I kind of like, I'll just, I, I didn't even know what I was applying for, to be honest with you. It was just yeah. like, this seems like sort of, so like I had a, like a first day of work at a suit at an office, a nice view across city, you know, like a good job, pension, you know, this is the thing, you know. And then I was like, this is not for me, you know. And it was all just a kind of a build up because I always wondered about that. With me, it was a lot different because I didn't have a college degree. I really had to start at the very beginning. So mm-hmm. my first, what I would call a real job, like beforehand I was, you know, stacking bacon and done stores and, you know, all of the regular stuff that you do as a, as a kid trying to earn anything that you could. But my first real job was I really wanted to get into computers because I loved the fact that you could build things with computers. But I got a job where I was literally given a stack of paper and I had to go page by page through the paper and just literally key it into a computer and data entry all day long. And it was monotonous and it was boring, but it was also the first time that you kind of, I got to work with a computer all day long. Mm. And that was my ambition at the time is like, if I just get to work with the tool first, that's deadly. And then I can work on getting the next step up on, on the ladder. Yeah. Um, so then I seen that there was a systems administrator lady there and she was over all of the computers in the entire building. And I literally just went up to her and said, if you ever think about lo- leaving or moving to the next career or whatever that might be, I would love to be considered for your job. And that might be in two years time. It might be in three years time, but I'd love to start learning from now. And she loved that. And she, she helped me to get into that position and it kind of grew yeah. on from there. Yeah. So it was, it was really lucky, but it was also, it was just the experience of it. That was, that was amazing. It was lovely. And it's very difficult for, um, I think it's very difficult to just get on the first block of snakes and ladders like to get on the first element of it and college degrees used to be this mechanism to kind of get you the first ladder but i'm not sure if that's the case anymore you know yeah like i think it's what we've done really well in this country is is giving people access to free education third level education i know it's kind of it's a little bit more expensive now but it's incredibly important because you see in other countries that have traveled there where like third level education is essentially it's a social filter like unless and exactly. like, but even in, in this country like the, the legal industry is still like that where like you look at barristers earn uh, for the first 10 years of their career yeah. and you realize that they need to have a wealthy family behind them you know and the legal profession is like you know you have to do 80 hours a week and get paid a pittance you know and you need that it's very difficult for people that don't come from the right background you know and that needs to change a lot but like in other countries they don't people that come from poorer backgrounds don't have that opportunity and it's something that's really important here because it's um it, it levels the playing field you know and yeah. it puts a meritocracy in place and i think it's not it's not for everybody and i do think that they're learning that lesson that there is a lot more i wish that there was um the things are a bit more hands-on because i'm I, I i like 
I think I'm a bit more tactile in my learning. Like I, exactly, I, 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 I'm, I love buying books. I read very few of them. You know, I'm just like I, I don't read. I, I find it very hard to hold my attention. You know, yeah. but I love learning. You know, and there needs to be a different way to, to do that. You know, but I think I'd, I'd like to think things are changed that way. You know. So before we get back to the story of, of moving away from the financial sector, how do you learn? Like, what is what is the way that you kind of stay up to date now? Is it podcasts or, or what is the best way for you? Um, well, ironically, I went back to university like three years ago for the two year masters. How's um, your the MBA and stuff? Is it? Um, it's a master's in enterprise innovation and design in oh, Smurfit. Nice. Yeah, so that was interesting. It kind of reaffirmed everything that I like that I already felt about. Uh, my, like when I went to see the guy I was like oh is there a thesis in this and he went no there's no thesis and I went phew I said is there any exams he said no I went okay because it's continuous assessment no exams so there's trying to be one exam and I was, wasn't happy with that and at the end they were like I, I can't remember what the cutoff is like a thesis is technically 20,000 words you know so they give us this assignment and I'm like this is a thesis he goes no this is only 18,000 words hey. and I'm like listen to a Joe in the street this is a thesis you know yeah. <laughs> so um uh, and I had the same issues that I had in university. So, but I, overall, it was a lot more hands-on and kind of exp- exploration and learning stuff. So I, I really enjoyed that. But in general, um, I learn, I suppose, just by, like, I can't learn something unless I'm interested in it. Like, yeah. There's a level of petulance involved, and I wish I could change that, but I can't. Um, and and after that, like, I just, if I'm interested in it, I'll just figure my way through it. And I think you have to be able to turn off your your shame and embarrassment sensors like I think sometimes end up in positions where and you can feel like there's 45 staff that don't work for us now and you can feel everybody's eyes on you and you're like I know this looks like I'm a fucking idiot right now but I need to figure this out and and, and, you know when it comes off it's really worth it you know yeah and so I try to be like that with all the staff as well so they're like I don't know I'm sure they'll they'll think of exceptions but in general like I try not to have issue with people making mistakes it's more like you know well what happened and stop that happening again you know i love that i think yeah there's there's a lot in that and and i think when you're hiring somebody i mean i've always gone for the adult model of when when you join minicorp when you join the company it's about a lot of self-discovery and i think the only way to really discover yourself and discover what you're good at and what you're passionate about is to fail a lot and to kind of to challenge yourself like first of all to step up to the plate and to give it a go and if it didn't work that's cool yeah. but what did you learn from it and, and how are you going to get on to the next level yeah like even the way that you explained there that you know the things that you learn they're only the things that you're passionate or, or that you're interested in and it was exactly the same for me when i was in school and when i got to the leaving cert like I got an A in maths and an A in physics, but everything else was NG. Because mm. at the time, I just, I really felt I wasn't going to go to college. I knew that for a fact because I was dying to get out there and start working. Mm. But I also knew that like, I, I just don't care about English and I don't care about any of these other subjects. And maybe it was a very kind of um, foolhardy way of just being a teenager at the time and going, you know, F you world type of thing. Yeah. But I'm still kind of like that to this day, that a lot of people will say, you should be interested in this or this will really help you. And if I'm not, if I don't really care about it, I just won't do it, you know? Yeah. And I'd like, the other side of that is though that like, you know, you can end up in a bit of a bubble if you don't spread out a little bit as well. So I kind of, I think I'm quite similar to you in that sense, but. It's um, my bubble. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, I think you, you do at the same time. I'm conscious that you probably sh- I should be like branching out a bit more into other areas, and it's easy just to put the blinkers on at times, you know. Yeah. So there's a balance in there somewhere. There is, and I think the challenging thing for me has been, has has really paid out. So beforehand, like two years ago, I would never have started a podcast like this, or I'd, I'd never really have been extroverted at all. And the more that I've kind of pushed myself to stand up in front of a stage or to do a podcast or to just start talking to people and stuff, it's just open up doors. And mm-hmm. this whole other world that I was blissfully unaware of in my little bubble has mm-hmm. now come to light. And I guess it's, yeah, it's just continually pushing yourself forward. So after, um, after the investment fund, where to next? Um, so I think like... I remember going on holidays with my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, and like we'd always end up in like you know a bar or a restaurant, and I'd be like, you know, I'd love to have a crack at this someday, and I think like she was actually just bored of listening to me say it, and she thought, <laughs> you know, you're 27, you know, we have no mortgage, no kids, we're not married, you know, there's no, there's no responsibility yeah, or, or yeah, you know, we'll, you know, shit, I get off the pot as they say. <laughs> so she's like, you, yes. might, you might as well. Um, when you have a crack so it's like later. so at the time like it seems like people are like oh you know it took such a rest risk and i'm like yeah middle class background of a third level education you know i've got you know family who can support me and yeah uh, yolo yeah <laughs> you know like it was and then the other thing is that the, the the job that i came from is like a lot of my contemporaries were leaving going traveling around you know australia or southeast asia for a year they come back and they'd probably get a pay rise to take their old job back mm. And the industry was like that at the time. So, like, it was a risk and, and it wasn't a risk at the same time, you know. It's a risk and kind of, like, if from, uh, the, the the privileged position that I was coming from, it seemed like a risk. Yeah. But at the same time, it was bloody frightening, like, because I'd never, well, it was, I remember sitting down with my parents and saying, listen, I'm going to gonna leave my job. And they're like, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, I kind of, I'm going to go work in the hospitality industry. And just, you know, I got a job. My first job was in a sandwich shop. And they were like, what and I was like, yeah. And actually, they were they're a bit shocked, but they were like very supportive because they were like, I think they knew what it was like. They're just like, all right. And I said, look, I'm doing this for a year, so I was treating it like you know a holiday. And I, like I'm, like my friends are going to Australia. I was like, if I just if I give myself a year, at the end of the year, if if nothing happens, I'll just come back. You know? Yeah. So I got a job at a sandwich shop. It was the only place I could get a job as a manager. So this is place making sandwiches, and it was hell. They're really. Actually, I learned a lot there because their staff were brilliant. Like, they all worked so hard. <clears throat> they all worked so hard and they all, like, really cared. And the owners are just awful to them. Like, just really, really awful. And it just, uh, I don't know, that I learned a lot. I only lasted, like, six weeks there. And I'm not really one to, to kind of, like, I think it was the only job I ever quit in those sort of circumstances. But I just, yeah, it was awful. Um. And then, where did I go after that? I went to a place in Tullyri called Harry's. I worked there for a while. And then at this stage, I'd already started to... I always wanted to go to Harry's and I still haven't been yet. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was great, yeah. And they had, like... At this time, I started to get interested in coffee. So I kind of... I was interested in coffee before because I worked in Lemon on South William Street when I was in college. And they were, like, the place to go for good coffee. And so I was never allowed to make coffee. The baristas, like, had the gift and... I was next in line all the time <laughs> to, to learn, but at that time never came around, you know. Okay. So um, uh, uh, when I'd work in finance, I had all this disposable income, so I'd like bought an espresso machine and had at the home like a little gadget classic, and then it didn't do what I wanted it to do, so I started Googling it, and then I'd end up on internet forums, and then 
going down the rabbit hole of the yeah, internet like buying parts from other machines and hacking them <laughs> in and then putting like PID controllers and stuff and all this sort of stuff that's amazing yeah so by the time I got to work at Harry's they, there was a more coffee focused business and so I was talking to them it was like they had a problem like our gasket apparently it's broken we're going to have to get an engineer in and I'm like well I'll just change it and they were like how do you know I'm like what's a gasket like, I mean, so I ordered one online and I remember coming in like the manager is going like, don't break this I'm like you literally just pull out the seal and you put that in and it's done and they're like oh, that's amazing and then suddenly so I kind of realised that like, like that was a really successful cafe and yeah. I was like, like I, I know a lot about this and it, it never dawned to me you know and then it was getting to the stage then with the coffees I was buying online from has been in the UK and Square Mile. And at this stage, I was flying to London to go to tasting events and stuff. Like I could literally like make better coffee at home than I could buy in a shop. Like there was no shops in Ireland that would that would. There was nothing then. No, and like coffee engines were definitely like at the the forefront of what was being done commercially, um, in the country. Um, but in terms of like the quality of coffee that. I could make in my kitchen. It was like, there's nowhere that is habitually serving this standard of coffee. Yeah. I was like, and I was like, oh, there's an opportunity here. So then I said, oh, well, like, I'll just, like, so email coffee, Carl at Coffee Angel, I said, like, you know, I want a job. So I remember him saying to you that he only gave me the job because I had a driver's license. And he, like, he looked at my CV <laughs> and he was like, like, like driver's license done. Yeah. And there's like all these qualifications in tax and finance and, you know, business yeah. and law degree. And he's like, he goes, oh, this guy will just do until until he quits and I find someone else because he was just, he just needed someone with a driver's license. So we started there and um, and off I went. So very quickly he was like, you you should just enter the Irish British Championships just so as a learning curve because I was like, is there a school I can learn more about this? And and he was like, just not really like. And he was treating me a lot on the job, you know. But Carl was in a, in a difficult place because they Carl, I always been came from a very like idealistic place and like. I was like, oh, why don't we just do, you know, single origins and we just get this espresso machine, that grinder and stuff. And he was like, well, he was trying to break through the perception of what coffee was. Yeah. And I was kind of on the far side on my own. Like, you know what I mean? Just like, like, oh, it could be this, it could be that. And like, in reality, it couldn't, you know what I mean? And, I, and It's a very, very good point though. Like we've seen this with so many products where in your head, you have this ideological world yeah. of where everybody has to be and will be at some point no yeah. doubt but there is this um progression or kind of like a journey that you need to bring the people on of like Absolutely, step by yeah. step by step and then they finally land in that in that place so like if it's i if people will say to me oh you know you're responsible for, for specialty coffee in, in starting in dublin and i'm like that is, like it's that's not true like it's it, it, it was going to happen there was a progression it's just that the day we opened 3FE, like the hard work that people like Carl Purdy yeah. and you know, all the guys, the SAE and Marco and all these people that had done, it just, they pushed it so hard. It was like, it's like they bought it through three base camps and then I just walked to the summit. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll take it from here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like, uh, and I mean, Coffee Engine do, do incredible things since then. They're, they're one of the, the businesses we look to um, for, uh, for inspiration, definitely. But so going back a step then, so when I was, I was working there, I entered the Irish Barista Championships um, the guy who had won the year before had gone on to win the world championships a friend of mine called Stephen Marcy he was working at Square Mile in the UK um, so he uh, I went into this competition I was watching all these videos of world championships and you know kind of I was motivated not, like by not wanting to embarrass myself like so I just because it was I just was there a feeling of like I shouldn't be here type of thing? Oh, absolutely! I didn't. I wasn't even allowed to steam milk a coffee angel. 
like I was on shots. That's it. I love know? this. Like, like you push yourself so far outside of your comfort oh, zone that you the fear of failure is kind of pushing you. Oh, it wasn't. Yeah, it was terrifying. Like so, I, I turned up at this thing. Like and I, I can. What I did know was that I, I, I was like, I can't go into this thing that I'm going to be the best barista. But what I can do is I can say I'm going to enjoy it more than everybody else. I'm going to have the best presentation. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to and I'm going to like make sure that everything goes exactly to plan. Like and I'm going to be more prepared than everybody because there are things that you could control regardless of whether you can make coffee or not. Yeah. Um, and then when I turned up, it was only after I watched all the routines, I was just like, nobody put any effort in here. You know what I mean? Like, it's not the same t- today as it was back then, you know? Like, i have been watching world championships and, and kind of pacing myself at their level. Um, and then so I turned up on the day and I don't know, like, even then, like, I kind of, I, I didn't think I'd have any chance of winning because a few small things went wrong and I was just like, oh, that's knocked me out of contention and stuff. And um, they, there's a video online still of like be, they gave me best espresso and I'm in the background going oh, I can't believe I got best espresso and I watched it this morning yeah. and they're like Colin Herman I'm like what <laughs> and the whole place going mad and I'm like I can't believe this so like, the thing is but I'm a year into not even like I'm nine months into my career of making coffee I'm not allowed to steam milk a coffee angel I've never poured milk into porcelain cups because we only did paper cups because yeah, it's yeah. the takeaway and I'm going to the world championships and it was like this is bonkers and you won it World Championships, I... The, no, but the Irish one. Like yeah, that, that, yeah. That's a big deal. And oh, absolutely. And how did that affect your confidence or affect your... I don't know, it was surreal. I don't think... Um, it was the first time in my life that I think that I was like... Uh, I got a sense that I could actually achieve something. Because I've always wanted to run a business. But, but that's the thing. Did you take the time to kind of reflect on it and go, holy shit, I'm actually really, really good at this? No, I think yeah, the wall, yeah, but at the same time, I was there was always the things like oh, I'm going to be found out any second now. You know what I mean? Like, did you really like even yeah. at that point well, a like, bit of imposter syndrome? I, I like I always wanted to run a business, and I, I like I've been to a few schools and asked to be talked to these things. And I always talk to students, young kids about this: is that when you're in school and they say, oh, you know, entrepreneurs are leaders and motivators and communicators and they're charismatic and all this. And I remember listening to these things when I was in school and going. Oh fuck! I wanted to be a business owner. You know what I mean? And you're like, I am not those things. Like, yeah. Who thinks of themselves in that way? Uh, and th- it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because they're like, the the sort of people um, who get to go and speak at events and are put on the pedestal are, by definition, the entrepreneurs who are more than happy to get up and talk about themselves. Yeah. Uh, says the guy who's been interviewed for a podcast. <laughs> but, anyway, um, but like some of the best business owners and su- most successful people I know are the most like antisocial or just like. If you know they have no confidence in themselves, they're just odd. You know, like it co- it takes all sorts. You know mm. what I mean? And the perception that the, you know the charismatic kind of Troy McClure's of the world are the, are the Troy <laughs> McClure's, yeah. That, that's that's who we think of as an entrepreneur. You know, it's it's the Richard Branson's, it's these kind of guys. You know, but there's some pretty you know odd people that are really great business people. You know, it doesn't it does really take all sorts. So my opinion the whole way along was like, well, I'd love to own a business, but I'm not one of those people. So you know, maybe I'll just yeah like for me i'll never forget i'll never forget emailing my accountant and and saying you know i just started mini corp i just started a business and i didn't know how to pay myself like he said you know i've done all the p30 and i'm I'm organizing all of the tax and everything it's like do i just log into the online banking now and just transfer money into my own account he's like yes and there's i i totally get what you're saying that there is when I was growing up, I always seen business owners as like people in suits and they were doing all these things and they were like running around town, businessing and, and having meetings and stuff. Versus when it actually comes to the practical running of a business, at the, the very first 
beginning of that for me was I had no idea what I was doing, mm. like no idea. And it was, it was a lot of failure and a lot of, a lot of discovery and a lot of kind of figuring out and going, okay, you can just run it however you want to run it. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's your business, you know? Yeah. And I love that. And I think that there is a lot of untold stories or a lot of people who have their head down doing absolutely great and phenomenal things. But I do think that there is, um, there's beauty in showcasing those people for what they've accomplished mm -hmm. as well. You know, not everybody will be fantastic in front of the media or will even like that, you yeah. know, but well, it's also amazing. You grow, like I feel probably they'll have grown into that role a bit more as years go by as you build up your confidence. But when I got into it, I wasn't like that. And I think that's the thing that people miss because they look at like the end product of, you know, what you've achieved and who you are. And they go, but you're a person with five, you know, coffee shops and this and that, and you've achieved this, that and the other. I'm like, yeah, but when I started it, Oh, oh! I was just a scared teenager. You know what I mean? It's like that's, and it just you had no idea how to go about it. So it's, I, I really do think it takes all sorts like that. Anybody can really give yeah. a crack, you know, if they have the right support systems in place and stuff. And you walk the walk. Like I think that that's that's where I draw the line. Like I, I really don't like it when people start to publish content out there and say this is how you do a business and this is how you do the thing and this is like the best way to run it and hustle, hustle, hustle and run like crazy. But they haven't actually built a business mm. or they haven't walked the walk at all. It's just all pure talk. And I, I don't know. I think, I think the modern world that we live in now, I hope when my kids grow up anyway, they, be, they have the ability to have a filter of what is great information being thrown at them and what is not so good information to listen yeah. to. Yeah. You know? So with the, um, the thing for me at that point though after one that competition they just got the world championships and they were like i um yeah at that point i was way out of my depth like you're talking like an event where five thousand people are sitting there cheering for cappuccinos and cheering, <laughs> like and you get there and it's like a pit like a, a formula one pit like the u.s champion will have 20 people with them you know someone's in charge of cups someone's in charge of spoons someone's in charge of water someone wow. like it's insane like you know and they all have like multi you know well, not multi-million, but like multi-thousand euro uh, sponsorship contracts and all sorts of stuff. And they've got big teams and roasteries and companies behind them. So it was me and my friend Dave rocked up. And it was just like... Calling it Dave. <laughs> yeah, it was like ridiculous. And like, it was, the, uh, we it was 52 countries, finished fourth. So got to the finals. Finals of six got to the two to the finals. So making finals was just insane. It's amazing. Um, and like the day of the finals was a year to the day that I started at Coffee Angel. So it was like, one of the judges told me afterwards, he goes, as soon as they found out that I'd only be doing it a year, they were like, nah, this guy, he can't, we can't let him win. Because they're just going to be in a bit. Ah, because it would discredit the whole thing type of Yeah. yeah. I actually told them in my presentations, that was just probably a mistake. But yeah. But, uh, and thing, but then, so that was amazing. Like, and that was like, I think I got a lot of confidence from that. It was like, actually, you know, you get the sense, you know, like when you open the calendar, the calendar says, oh, you know, if you try hard, you can achieve anything. And you're like, yeah, well, I can read that, but it doesn't mean anything. And then, but when you, when something like that happens, you're just like, if I try hard, anything can happen. You're like, you kind of, it means something all of a sudden, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that would kind of pushed everything on then, you know? Yeah. Did you see them as two separate blocks? So what I would see is like block one being, um, the coffee, like you're, you're now, very good at the thing you you can make great cups of coffee and you can achieve that the next thing is to build a business around that you know yeah they are like it's but it kind of this what sat between the two for me like um was a sense of like setting goals and achieving them uh, and just actually like writing things down this is what i want to achieve setting a target and going for it and then seeing how many of those 
goes yeah. to achieve. And it kind of, it was always with coffee, because specialty coffee was just progressing like like week by week. There was innovations happening. It was just a really incredible time to get involved in coffee. Um, and it just every week there was something to learn. And like and there was things I was publishing on my blog that were like influencing how baristas make coffee in the states. And I was just like, this is insane. Like you know, it's just it was just that sense of community and how fast things were progressing was just absolutely incredible. Like I was incredibly fortunate that I started in coffee at that time because like if I started today like you just you're going to the gun show with, with a spoon you know <laughs> so <laughs> but do, do you do you feel that if you if you started two years earlier or two years later you wouldn't be where you are now absolutely yeah really yeah and like people say oh was that was that because you timed it well like by chance I'm like oh just <laughs> like wow. every, every day by day you make decisions based on what today is you know what I mean that's yeah I don't know but that's that, this, what is that saying is like the look is where opportunity and preparation meet and it's like it's a very good saying yeah I like that one a lot that's uh, that's one of the good calendar sayings <laughs> so after coming back from that amazing adventure and, and um, the World Barista Championships when did you decide to open up the first shop or, or how did you so about two months previously to that I'd handed in my notice a coffee engine and I said oh like I'm just gonna I'm gonna go to the world championships and the fire and I'm gonna have a crack at doing something so I came back from uh, the world championships uh, to nothing with no job and uh, so my wife was basically bankrolling the two of us and then I started picking up work with a company who make coffee at events a company called Restretto in the UK so a guy called Joe Harrow who's very good to me would like fly me to Barcelona for three days and would make coffee for Pfizer on a stand at a you know cardiac yeah, yeah, conference, yeah. and then I'd be in Birmingham at a trade show you know for cars or something making coffee. Like, basically, the brand would put their brand on the paper cups and we'd make coffee and we'd get people onto their stand. Okay, paid really well, uh, and it was a nice way to see the pace. And I learned a lot about how to set up and break down machines and how to fix problems and that kind of stuff. And uh, so that was great. Met a lot of good people that worked in coffee as well. And learned a lot from them. But it was not something you could rely on. Like you could earn, I mean, I could earn five grand in a week and then the next week I could earn nothing, you know? So it was like, it was very transient and a bit all over the place. And also I didn't enjoy it because like there's no routine to it. And then I was trying to set up this business and like, I know I wanted to do something. So I, I didn't really know how I was going to go about it. So I essentially had no money. At this stage, the economy had collapsed. So they weren't going to lend anybody any money. Um, I had job offers in uh, Scandinavia, in the US and the UK and you know a lot of owners or people that I knew would just give me a job if I called them and but I, I knew that nothing had happened in Dublin and in Ireland there was a chance to do something that was very specialty focused and I love Dublin like it's it's my home and I was like and I was my wife was here or my she was my girlfriend at the time like yeah and she was in university and I was like you know well you can't I remember having a conversation with my dad and I was like trying to figure out what I wanted to do and he was like listen every every decision has a consequence and you're just sitting here whinging about the consequences of each decision just like pick one pick one and live with the consequences I'm like you know so if I'd if I'd moved to Norway to work you know myself and my girlfriend would have broken up mm. and that would have been the consequence of it I'm like well I don't want to do that and he goes well then don't do it stay here I'm like well then like I won't get to go work at these great coffee bars and he's like well that's your consequence and it's just and it, was, it seems <laughs> very obvious dad. it seems very obvious yeah. but I'm just like I come back to it all the time it's like just stop worrying about the consequences pick one you know yeah yeah. yeah. sometimes it's easier to pick the consequence than pick the upside you know what I mean yeah Um. so 
I did, I kind of looked around and said, well, what are my options? So I had no money. Um, I think like, my dad said he'd give me five grand or he'd lend it to me and I was like, all right, I'll have that. That'll buy me a dishwasher. And I was like, right, so I, there was a place in Temple Bar that was like in the front of a theatre kind of thing, but I, I wasn't too sure about those people. And then the Twist of Pepper came along on Abbey Street, which is a nightclub owned by a friend of a friend. Yeah. Um, and I met him. He was like, look, you can set up your coffee shop here. Don't have to pay any rent. If it makes money, you can start paying rent. And then we'll just see how we go. Wow. And I was like, all right. And I was like, it was just the best thing I had. So went in, gave it a lick of paint. And then on the 9th of December 2009, opened up 3AP Coffee. Amazing. Yeah. And how, so with the work that happened through um, Coffee Angel and kind of setting up those base camps beforehand, was there an awareness then in Dublin of speciality coffee? And There was online. And I think like through Coffee Angel, I'd kind of like, I'd become this, well, actually through boards.a, there was like this forum there for coffee. And we'd like, we'd do group buys. We'd buy coffee from uh, roasteries all over the world and get them shipped in. And then so we'd save on shipping costs. And they'd always chuck in t-shirts and cups and stuff as well. And then like this gang of lads, uh, and it was generally lads, um, would meet on uh, just in uh, one place and, you know, hand in your tenor and get your bag, bag of, of stuff. 49 Parallel or, you know, George Howell or whatever it was. Uh, and it was a proper subculture, you know. And because I was working at Coffee Angel, uh, I was in the city centre, so I just became the go-to person to receive all the deliveries. So I met a lot of them there. And um, so when I opened, there was and because I'd won the Irish Barista Championships and I finished fourth in the world, like when I opened up, it was the shop was the size of this room is tiny, like so it's like whatever ten square meters or something. Yeah. And um, I just there was like a. It was because the city was just on its knees, you know. There was just this sudden, I don't know, there was, this, there was just this wave of energy behind anybody that was just trying to do something. Do you know what I mean? That was really, like, that really, really pushed me along. That, like, I remember Mulligan's opened in Stony Batter as well. There's and they were like, they were like oh, we're going to have no Guinness. This is going to be craft beer and the best whiskey. And every, like, lots of people, like you guys were saying. So the city just got in behind them and were like, oh, we'll make this work, you know, because it's yeah. people just really wanted to see ordinary people trying something because they were just sick of the bankers and the, the developers and everything. And that really pushed the business along, you know. Now that I think back on it, it's exactly that timing as well because there's like things like the creative quarter started to come out of out of the woodwork and people were really getting into the arts and craftsy kind of. Yeah, um, yeah. a lot of the farmers markets popped up. Yeah. And it, it, there was a huge sense of just like if you're trying the city to get in behind it and like I know he gets an awful lot of abuse but the whole Love and Dublin thing was around then it's like actually just take pride in your city I know we're broke now but like it's still a great city to be you know yeah definitely and I think like that that kind of took off around the same time for probably the same sort of reasons you know and uh, that's just like the first day I think I sold 16 cups of coffee and like most of them were to family and friends and then next day was 18 next day was 20 and then it's just built and built and built and organic built, yeah. growth kind of happened was there anything that you um purposely did from a kind of marketing standpoint or did you like i, I love i love marketing like i'm i'm a real and it's a weird thing to say to you because oh, i love marketing and they go you look at you you have 50 heads and like a lot of people their perception of marketing is like that it's a bit tricking people into buying your product and like the way i think of marketing is that there's there's a product okay right now there is a product out there that you would love uh, you would gladly throw money at that you would recommend it to all your friends you would probably buy them and give them to your friends because you you really invest in this product right and it's going to go out of business and disappear before you find out about it without marketing yeah. that's it's because of bad marketing now like 
advertising and you know pop-ups and all the stuff that the people hate that associate with marketing are just aspects of marketing but like marketing to me is a more homogenous thing it doesn't have to be clean and precise and it's it, like when you walk into the door at uh you walk into the door at sussex terrace and darren says where did you buy that jumper that's part of our marketing campaign in a sense you know it's a it's about building the personality of the business like how do you allow your staff to to behave and work and and dress and how like how do you uh, communicate with your customers you know what color are your bags you know do you you, you know what it's it, it's everything about the business it's all the little idiosyncrasies of how your business operates is part of your marketing and people are think of marketing as, as a very different thing you know and like it's it, it's your personality and how how people feel when they think about what you do so I, I think what you just said there was deadly. Loved it. And when I look at when, when you open up 3FE in 2009 and then kind of slowly moved into Grand Canal, there is a huge sense of um, that you really thought through how Grand Canal would be presented and how it was thought about and, and how even from the furniture to the branding, to how customers are, like even reading your book, you could tell that you're completely aware and, and you really want the customers to have the best experience possible. I mean, did all of that knowledge come from, like from the sandwich shop guy and McDonald's and all of these kind of culminations of so much different interactions in the hospitality sector that you're kind of going, I just want people to have an extremely excellent experience or was it something that was inside you for like, for, for such a long time, like when you walked into the Barista Championships and you're kind of looking going, they're not really presenting themselves well or they're not doing, you know, they're not, they're not marketing themselves really well here. Was it just something that you knew that you could, you could do well? Yeah, like I think it's funny when, when it progresses along and you start looking back and all of a sudden everything starts to make sense, you know. Like when I was, when I was like 14 or 15, I used to hold dinner parties for my mates. Like. <laughs> Yes. Like, just, I love that. And at the time, it seemed just completely normal, and obviously it isn't. Uh, or my wife said, like the f- one of the first times we went out on a date. Well, we didn't have dating back then, but yeah, one of the first times we arranged to be drinking in the same place <laughs> yeah. um, was at a gig. I think it was the Pixies in Phoenix Park, as far as I remember. And um, she turned around, and I was like handing out these parcels, and she was there was a gang of like twelve of us, and she was, like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "Oh, I made everybody falafels," and she was like what like who's your man bringing a packed lunch to a rock concert like uh and then i used to do quizzes as well i used to do, like i remember going to a quiz and it pissed me off because you know the, the questions didn't make sense and or they were open-ended and I was like, this is fucking ridiculous so i'm just gonna but is it. that the thing though that yeah. you're kind of always assessing and going this is just not done right like if, if well it's about hospitality i like yeah. making people feel welcome having a good experience yeah and that just bleeds into everything so even with a barista competition routine like what uh, mightn't be making the best coffee or it mightn't be you know have the most innovative routine but it's all actually about the four judges that are looking back at you they just feel really welcome on the stage and if they feel nice and welcome and not under pressure they're going to give you good marks yeah and i think that's it's the same with the, like the coffee shop is none of the coffee shops are, are perfect by any means anybody that's ever worked in a coffee shop knows that it's a constant stream of things you need to fix and you know it has up days and down days and all that kind of stuff but like we're trying to achieve essentially is just when you when you go there you feel comfortable but how how come so many places get that wrong like when i've always before before i even knew you or before um my first couple of trips to 3fe 
Like I would travel all the way from Shankill into Grand Canal just to have <laughs> that cup of coffee on a Saturday morning. And it would be, not that it would be an adventure, but you're kind of going like, it's an amazing cup of coffee, but it's also everything that's around it. So the minute that I walk up to the till, like these people are just nice. Yeah. Like they'll say, you know, that this is a different types of coffee and this is, a, you know, the different kind of flavors that you can expect. But they also kind of let you answer some questions to almost get a sense of how much are you into coffee? Yeah. You know, I could sit and talk about coffee all day or maybe you just want to have your coffee and go, you know? And it's very difficult to find people like that, to, to get people who will talk about your brand and, or, or, or present your business in a way that you would feel, you know, happy. Yeah, I think, I know, I think I, I generally would see, that I don't really have any enemies. I like to see the good in people. And, you know, even in the last years, people have done pretty shitty things to me, but I just will always call them six months later and be like, listen, let's draw a line in the sand, let's get over it. And, it's I just, it's think it's you know we all make mistakes for different reasons and you know it's um but I always believe that everybody at, at the heart of it is is a good person that we all have that ability to be good and and when you come to work at VFE I think we put that there's an importance placed on that whether it's like I don't know I think the people get a sense of that very quickly when they work there that they're the it's their job to in, enjoy themselves there and to feel safe and to feel comfortable you know and and once that happens then people you know people will break their back for you not they will like they shouldn't but i mean they, they they will go you know that bit further for you because they understand that you you actually care you know and it's, it's a difficult industry it's not an industry where we can afford to pay everybody the best wages or we can you know it's it, it can be quite trying at times because you know, that's what hospitality is like but we appreciate the work that they do and they're encouraged to be themselves and and to make customers feel comfortable you know um and i think I believe that sales come from that. Yeah, they do. And quality comes from that. I repeat customers. Yeah, so like you can achieve quality and you can achieve sales in a business if your staff feel safe and and, and valued in the business. Um, and I'm hopeful that we do that. Um, but a lot of businesses come from the other perspective. It's like, well, we drive sales first and then if we can get the other stuff yeah. afterwards, then, then it'll be great, you know? And they look at three of and they go, well, you go, it's okay. You can you can afford to look after your staff and you know, uh, and do all these things for them because because you've got sales. And I'm like, well, sure. But it was we set did, up to be like that. Yeah, yeah. like Grand Canal when we started. Like, I mean, it's the place is strong now. I don't even get a seat in the place. But when it opened, like it was a ghost town. Like <laughs> it was an absolute ghost town. Like, and you'd have people coming through the door and be like, "Are you open?" And you're like, "Yeah." <laughs> but I'll never was. forget because like. I would turn around, Keith lived near me in Cherrywood, and it was before we had kids, before I was married at all. And I would text Keith on a Saturday morning at nine and say, do you want to go in and get a coffee? And we'd both get there and have these like espresso tasting sets. Like one yeah. was a one single shot of espresso and the other one was with milk. And it was like unparalleled, co- like we had great conversations with the people behind the counter and then you're sitting now and you just feel happy. Yeah, like you're going. I've never tasted coffee like that. This is this whole thing is a great environment. I love it. Can't wait to come back here next Saturday. But it's also great to catch up with yeah. my friend Keith. Yeah, you know, like it. it but it is. It's a social hub. That's a coffee shop are, You know. Yeah. Like it's if if you came to Three Feet, there was a cubicle with a with a door for your, you and your coffee. Like you wouldn't go. Like it just 
it's about and uh, it's like the thing you know like you know the tables on the left well from the customer's perspective on the right hand side as you walk in uh, against the back wall yeah nobody ever sits facing the wall unless they're talking unless there's somebody else sitting there you know everybody looks out you know I mean, like the other person might look out the window, but it's generally people scary look that into you the recognize cafe. that. Yeah, it's, it's you're just sitting there just watching things go by. You know, like it's 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 whole it's all part of the process, and it's like people have come to three FE and met their wives and husbands, and uh, they've had ki- like this. I remember you actually when you had your first child. Yeah. And now I see you coming in, and, and like I'm like I remember the day they were born. You know what I mean? And like these kids come in and they order from the the counter like oh I have a brownie, and you're like. Like I remember you were born because yeah. we're so close to Hollow Street. It happens all the time, you know. And it's, it's when you see the the, the scene that that you've kind of like, that has grown through all of these people's lives. It's something that like it's just even if if it all fell down tomorrow, like in 30, 40 years time, you still have people going. You know, do you remember three of E? Wasn't that great? You know. But I think that that's. I know that we need to wrap up now. We've been we've been chatting away for for ages, but it's it's such a great conversation. Like for me, it's to enjoy the journey along the way is something that needs to be acknowledged more. I think a lot of people can get really infatuated with, you know, in ten years' time the business is going to do this, and that's the end line, and that's the goal, and that's what we'll accomplish. But it's all of the little wins along the way that need to be celebrated with the entire team to mm. go we did this you know yeah. like we you can see that child coming back like even when Siobhan and Darren and stuff when when Lily was born we would go to Sussex Terrace and she would always ask them for one of the coffee cups of water mm. and after a certain point like whenever we'd walk in there was like a coffee cup of water sitting on the table waiting <laughs> for her you know and that's every time that Lily went back then she's going back with a smile and she's loving the whole thing and she's only four yeah and I think there is some something so significant about what you said that there is always this feeling when I was growing up of this kind of hard-nosed business. You have to be an ass in business and you have to be really you know, thick skin and mm. really tough and everything. And you absolutely don't. Yeah. I think that people who are fair and honest and, and build great businesses are more often than not very kind people and very compassionate, you know? Yeah, like the thing that will from a public facing thing and then also for like business to business the thing that I, I definitely have learned is that like you can you can recover from bankruptcy and you can recover from you know bad sales or you can recover from a fire touch wood and all these sort of things but like if you lose your reputation uh, that's mm. not an easy thing to yeah to recover you know so if somebody comes to 3 of and they have a bad experience like generally like just go head over heels to try and fix it or to make them come back or do whatever because like your reputation is so important and it's it goes with customers like and goes within business as well you have to be good to people and it's it's a bit of a leap of faith because every everyone you ask around you just like oh don't fuck off you know that's it, that seems like the thing to do but it really isn't you know what i mean they're just trying to protect you i think trying to you know ease the pain of it but it, yeah but like i think really like in business i think compassion is an undervalued strength yes like you have to be like compassionate a, a business owner because there's the time to to stick to boot but then there's a the time to actually sit back and go you know what like yeah we have to look at this in in i don't know a softer light maybe we've gotten through about 40 percent of the questions that i've had (laughs) (laughs) so we might i don't know if you're open to it at some point come back and do another another episode Um, but 
Is there ways that people should get in touch with you? Can they reach out on Twitter or, or what's the best way to say hi? Well, I'm on holidays next week, so not next week. Uh, <laughs> Where are you going? I go to Lanzarote. Nice. Uh, uh, so yeah, it's one of those hotels that looks after kids. So they're happy. We're happy. <laughs> and them over. Uh, yeah, seriously. Um, so uh, well, on Twitter, Dublin Barista. Instagram, I'm Colin Harmon. That's my name. Uh, and but Darren does hello at com or uh, I mean, come to the shop, you'll see me running around. Brilliant. Um, but yeah, it'd be... Uh, yeah, it's been great. Thank you for having me. Not at all. Thanks a million for coming on. Bye.